In the meantime, we're in Romans chapter 8. Let's turn our uh, attention to that. I guess I do have to adjust. You know, for, for 20 years I've been saying let's open our Bibles and we're not really... We don't really do. Let's, let's navigate to Romans 8. Find Romans 8 on your device. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11 tonight. It's become popular to refer to believers as Christ followers. How many of you have heard that term, Christ follower? Uh, nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's, it is kind of the latest edgy thing to do. It's Proponents think it's more real, more committed, more descriptive. I, I guess I can see that. Uh, but it seems to me to put too much emphasis on me rather than the Lord. Christ follower touts my decision to take discipleship to the next level and it leaves uh, and, and leave the average believer behind. I mean, that's just my take. If you want to you call yourself a Christ follower, if you think that's really a cool term, that's fine. But if I tell somebody I'm a Christ follower... Uh, it, it, to me, it's like, hey, I've decided to follow Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And while that may be true, uh, I, I don't really want to call attention to me. I want to put attention on Jesus. Uh, Christian, on the other hand, that good old solid uh, phrase, uh, it's a name given to believers by non-believers. They listened to what believers were saying, and then they watched their lives, and they concluded they were Christian. They were like Christ. To me, that indicates that Jesus was doing something in them and through them, the emphasis being on Him and not on me. And so though I am called to follow the Lord and to be His disciple and all of that, not taking anything away from that, uh, I want always to be calling attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and never to myself. Our passage tonight is all about God doing something in me and through me while others observe. And so we begin in verse 9. Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, we've seen in past studies that the flesh is that influence, an inclination that we find at work within us to satisfy our physical appetites in sinful ways. We've said that as long as we remain in our current physical bodies, we will struggle against this influence, the flesh. Context is also very important when you are seeking to understand the Bible and what it's actually saying. Here in verse 9, Paul uses the familiar term, the flesh, but the context is a little different than we are used to. Let's start with Paul's observation if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That tells me that he's addressing believers, all those who have been born again, because that's the only person that has the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling in them. And we might use the word since instead of if. He really means since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So he's talking to a Christian, he says, Christian... Since the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, two things are true of you. Number one, you are not in the flesh. And number two, you are in the Spirit. Now, after all this talk about our struggle with the flesh, he says, since you're a Christian, you're not in the flesh. I guess that could mean that you should not yield to the flesh, but that's not exactly what he said. Since you are in the Spirit, you are no longer in the flesh, even though you still struggle against the flesh. 
I just scratch my head and say, what? What, what is he really saying? Well, perhaps this illustration will help. I hope it will. Think for a moment about the birth of a baby. For months, that baby has been in the liquid environment of his mother's womb. Starting in the third trimester, he makes the motions of breathing and in this way moves amniotic fluid in and out of his lungs. This flow of amniotic fluid into the lungs is believed to be important in the development of the lung. Before birth, these breathing movements have nothing to do with getting oxygen. The baby gets his oxygen from his mother through the placenta and the umbilical cord. True breathing, what we do now, begins after birth. It's that famous, you know, scream that you're listening for when the baby comes out, uh, that, that first breath. Probably the most, uh, so really when delivered, he is thrust into a whole new environment. It's an environment of air rather than liquid. Nevertheless, he is fully equipped for his new environment and his lungs take over so he can live in this different new atmosphere. Probably the most common description of getting saved is what? We've been born again. That's the phrase that we really like to use. Jesus used the term in his Nick at Night talk with Nicodemus. Nicodemus wondered if a person... Could, you never heard that before? That's famous. I didn't even pause on that one because it's so... Nick at night. Nicodemus wondered if a person could go back to the womb and be born a second time. Interesting. Jesus explained that he was talking about a spiritual birth. And he was using physical birth as an illustration. In fact, Jesus mentioned that the first physical birth involves liquid, water while the second birth involves the Spirit of God. When a person is born again, he is like a baby delivered into a new way of living, a new way of breathing, we might say. We're given the Spirit of God, and our own previously dead spirit is made alive. It's like taking our first real breath and entering a whole new atmosphere. It's in that context, I believe, that Paul said, you're not in the flesh but you're in the Spirit. Just like you'd say to a person, you can't go back to the womb, Paul is telling us we've been delivered to an entirely new way of living. And so I am to think of myself as a Christian as having been delivered into an entirely new way of living that depends upon the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, Paul in another place says it's in Christ that we live and we move and we have our being. Everything about me now It has to do with Christ and with the Spirit of God. I've been delivered from one way of living to another way. Now, sure, believers can still sin. We've seen that in previous studies. We always struggle with the flesh. But here Paul is establishing that you have once and for all been born again into a new way of living. And he says, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Spirit of Christ is another name for God the Holy Spirit. It's a name that reminds me that Jesus promised after His death and resurrection He would send the Holy Spirit to live within us. That's at least one sense in which He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus Christ that He would come and live within us. And though His disciples were understandably sad and grieved and upset when Jesus said, I'm leaving, uh, Nevertheless, he said, it's better for you that I go because then I will be able to send another helper like me, another comforter like me. And he was referring to God the Holy Spirit. 
And so in that sense, God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Among the many shades of meaning we could discuss about this phrase, the one thing that strikes me about this is that the Holy Spirit living in me is what equips me now to breathe in this new atmosphere that I've been born into. Uh, he, he has become uh, the, the agency, the person by which I can experience this new life. Now, it behooves us then to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, one of the first things we learn that the Holy Spirit is a person, He's not a force, and He's a person who is God. And thus we need to get to know Him, to understand who He is, how He speaks to us, uh, what His uh, agency is, all of those kinds of things. Uh, and, and quite honestly, we, um, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not, uh, by we I mean Christians, we, we sometimes act as though the Holy Spirit is more of a force than a person. Uh, he, he, some, some sort of a, a, a force to be you know, let loose, uh, to just you know, kind of destroy, uh, you, you know, knock over chairs and blow people over and do things like that. Uh, rather than a person that you have a personal relationship with who is leading you and guiding you and directing you on a daily basis. And so, uh, you know, uh, lots of uh, disagreement, lots of, uh, you know, discussion about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, mostly about the gifts and all of those manifestations and stuff. But remember, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, uh, and He is to be known and understood uh, and followed in terms of his leading. So I am no longer in the flesh, right? That's what Paul says. I'm in a new sphere of living. But don't I still contend with the flesh? Aren't I still in my body? Yes, but, verse 10 says, if, or again, since Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Again, the reading is, since you are in Christ, or since Christ is in you, still talking to believers in these verses, he says, the body, my body, is dead because of sin. And so, again, I take this at face value. My body is dead. How is my body dead? Well, it's dead at least in the way that God told Adam that in the day that he ate of the forbidden fruit, he what? He would surely die. Now, Adam began to die and he ultimately died, but God said, the day you eat the fruit, you're going to die. Uh, he eats the fruit and he doesn't immediately drop dead. Uh, but God considered his body dead from that moment forward. So, uh, with me and with you, our bodies are dead. Not immediately, but ultimately. Because of sin, my body is dead. It cannot pass into eternity. It is dead and will ultimately pass away. But... Within this dead body of mine, I now find life because I have been declared righteous by God. And so Paul is saying, you've been delivered into a whole new sphere of living. It's a spiritual sphere. There's nothing like it. It can't be experienced any other way but by a relationship with the living God. Uh, you, you're, and, and then you say, well, but I'm still stuck in this body. He says, yes, that's true, but it's, you might as well consider your body dead. Uh, but you're alive unto God and God wants to work in you and through you. Uh, it's the only body you have and He's going to use you right where you are. Now, I don't, again, know if this is a great illustration. It's hard to come up with great illustrations. Uh, and the really great illustrations, the ones that just, you go, wow, 
mostly are not true. The internet has changed everything. Uh, because, you know, you hear something and you go, wow, really? That was this and that? And then you research it and it's, yeah, that, that never happened. That's not true, you know, and stuff. And it just, it blows your mind. So you have to be a little bit careful with your illustrations. And so, so you have to make up your own illustrations now, which is the good old-fashioned way. But they're not as good as the fake ones that you, you know, that, that make perfect sense. But here's an illustration of what I think I'm talking about. I was thinking about Jesus' comment to the Pharisees that they were like whitewashed tombs. I don't know why, but that's one of my favorite things that Jesus said when he was talking to the Pharisees and he said, you know, you guys, you are like whitewashed tombs. And the idea is that uh, this whitewashing or this painting that they would do, especially around feast times when uh, the different festivals, when the pilgrims would come into Jerusalem, they'd go out and they would, you know, uh, take care of all the grounds and they would trim the you know, trees and all of that and they would whitewash the tombs and the sepulchre so that they looked their best. And, so, and yet Jesus said outside they look great, but we all know that inside there's rotting, stinking flesh going on. Uh, and and you know, nobody really wants to see inside or get inside. This comment of Paul, sort of just the opposite, isn't it? Outside, he says, your body is dead. For you and me, outside, from heaven's perspective, we're nothing but dead, rotting flesh. We're not going to go to heaven. First uh, Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection. There'll be a connection with my body, my current physical body, but this body, as, as amazing as it is, as fearfully and wonderfully made as it is, and as handsome as I am, this is not the body that's going to be in eternity. It's, it's, so if you're looking down from heaven, this is a dead, rotting body, actually. It's a corpse, only it has, uh, it's animated by the life that God has given me. And so I, I look terrible from the outside, but inside, just the opposite, the Holy Spirit is giving me life because I have been declared righteous by God. I'm exactly the opposite of a self-righteous Pharisee. And so if I look at a self-righteous person or a religious person, I say, well, that's a person that has all these outward trappings of righteousness, but inside they're still dead in trespasses and sin. And then somebody looks at me and they say, you're a bozo. You're, you're nothing. But inside I have the righteousness uh, of God declared righteous. I have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So it's very interesting to me. Another illustration of this same idea uh, is where you read that we as Christians have the treasure of the gospel, but Paul says, in what? Earthen vessels. Outwardly, we might look plain and ordinary. Just a, a pot, you know, n- nothing even decorated or fancy, just a common water jar. But inwardly, we contain the greatest treasure the world has ever known. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, this is what I think Paul is talking about here tonight. He's saying, realize that you've been delivered into a new way of living. Yes, you still have a body. But from heaven's perspective, it is, it is a dead, rotting body. But inwardly, you have this spirit and you're to live according to the spirit. And in verse 11, he says, But if, or again, since, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
Paul is telling believers that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. For sure, I'm looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. Honestly, I'm looking forward to the rapture of the church because the resurrection would indicate that I'm dead. And I, I would rather just be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Amen? Isn't that the way to go? I mean, maybe some of you are looking forward to die, dying. I am not. Uh, I'm not afraid of dying. Well, I'm not afraid of death. I might be afraid of dying, you know, in, in one sense. Although I've noticed that God gives you grace when you have to go through it. There's no use wondering how you're going to deal with something until you have to deal with it. You ever notice that? And you look at people and you think, how? How can you go through this with such calm and such peace? It's because you're going through it. After all, Jesus, earlier we talked about how the Lord said that he would send another comforter. And you only need comfort when what? You're uncomfortable. And so uh, a lot of times we're, we'd like to store up grace for, you know, make sure I have enough grace reserved in my, uh, you know, in my, my grace budget for when I might have to die. And God says, yeah, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, just come to the throne when you need it and you'll find grace and mercy in abundance at that time. Uh, and so I know I'm going to be resurrected from the dead because Jesus Christ was the first fruits of them to be raised from the dead. He's the first of a whole another line of, of human beings that were going to be raised from the dead, all those who believe in him. But we also know that the rapture could occur at any moment and we which are alive and remain at that time will be changed and caught up to be with the Lord. And so for sure, I know that's all going to happen. Uh, however, Paul is still talking about life right now, not what's going to happen in eternity. My body may be dead, but it's the only body I have until the resurrection or the rapture. Thus, God gives life to my mortal body through his indwelling spirit. Now, we've been talking a lot in Romans about our bodies being influenced by the flesh. It's that principle we find at work that seeks to influence and incite us to satisfy our normal physical appetites in sinful ways. Our bodies can also be influenced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Even though dead, we can live and offer spiritual life to others. I guess you'd say we are, in a real sense, the walking dead, walking with the Lord in a newness of spiritual life while all the while dead and dying. Uh, and it's a very interesting contrast that Paul is drawing. So, what all this boils down to is Paul's way of saying that God has chosen to reveal himself to others through you. Pastor and author Bob Deffenbaugh, he's a graduate of Dallas Seminary, he talks about Christians in terms of the incarnation of Jesus. He says this, he says, In the incarnation of our Lord, God chose to manifest himself in the human flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. There is also a principle of incarnation we often neglect taught in Scripture. The principle of incarnation is more general. God has chosen to manifest himself through human beings. And so there's a sense then, a very limited sense, in which Jesus is incarnate or revealed through you. Here's an extended quote to clarify what he meant. He said, The Lord Jesus was God. And at his initiative, he added humanity to his deity. We, on the other hand, have become one with God because he sought us out and gave us new birth through his spirit. Second, in our Lord's incarnation, perfect humanity was added to his undiminished deity. We are neither divine nor sinless. We are sinful human beings who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ 
and who have become one with God through new birth. We are not gods. Rather, God is in us and we are in Him. It is one thing to become partakers of a divine nature, quite another to fully possess a divine nature. He is the vine, we are the branches. He is the Son of God, we are sons of God. Now, keeping all that in mind, we are still being reminded in these verses in Romans 8 that God has both called us to live in a way that is consistent with His character and our calling, and He has also provided the miraculous power to do so in the person of the indwelling Spirit. And so I can, right now, even in my dead body, reveal the life of Jesus Christ as I yield myself to the influence of God the Holy Spirit. If you don't like the connotations of the word incarnation, uh, used, you know, because it, you think that sounds weird. And, and there are, uh, there, there's a whole uh, part of a movement now in, in the emergent church they talk about incarnational Christianity and they do get into a weird kind of a mystical sense. Uh, the early Christian writers used this term to, to say what Diffenbaugh just said, that Christ was God incarnate, God in human flesh. Now God chooses to reveal himself still through your human flesh. It doesn't make you a God or anything like that. You're not like Jesus in that sense. He is the unique Son of God. But we can't back away from the idea that we are the Christian. We are the Christ-like ones. Uh, another reason I like the term Christian rather than Christ follower because it's, others will have eyes on me rather than uh, you know me always just having eyes on Christ. Uh, it, the idea is that I, I am like Christ and they see Christ when they see me. Uh, he writes this, he says, uh, well, if you don't like this connotation when applied to Christians, author Jerry Cook uses another term. He calls it strategic placement. We talk about this a lot. I think you'll like this. He writes, you're called not so much to do great things, but to be a great person, and that person is Jesus Christ. The church is the presence of Jesus in the world. No matter how big a church attendance is on Sunday, it will never penetrate the culture with Jesus. The reason is clear. The church on Sunday is experienced by a church community. It is observed by the unbelieving community. However, Monday through Saturday, the church operates in the experience of non-believers. It lives on their turf. It moves in their society. It operates in their culture. On Monday, Jesus becomes incarnate through you. And because he can be seen and touched, he can be received or rejected. True evangelism is possible. This, I believe, is Paul's intent in these verses. He's saying, believer, Spirit of God dwells in you. Yes, you have this struggle with the flesh, but realize that you've been delivered from the sphere of the flesh. You live in a whole new dimension, and there should be things about you that are incomprehensible to a non-believer. The, the same way that Nicodemus heard the words of Jesus and said, do I need to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Because he, he didn't understand the mystery of it and the, the wonder of it. Because there's just something about you that's different. It, 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 it's, it's, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a sense of the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. And as we sit here and we think, oh, and that's such a burden, how do I do that? Paul says, no, you, you don't do anything. Your dead body is the shell within which the Holy Spirit of God animates your spirit. And as long as you want to follow Him and listen to Him and follow His lead, then He can accomplish these things through you. And it removes, in a joyous way, all the human excuses that we use. My favorite one is that I'm tired. 
tired all the time. And tired means cranky and grouchy and talk to me tomorrow. That kind of a thing. And Paul, I think, would say, that's because you're living in a dead body. I bet Jesus was tired. I don't know if Jesus slept for like three and a half years. Do you know? No, he did. He slept on the boat that one time. Yeah, the one time you need him awake, he's asleep. But, you know, Jesus, he'd minister and minister and minister and minister. Didn't even have a, a Sobakawa pillow or anything like that to lay his head on. God, those are great. Those, you know, wa- are they walnut shells or something? There's something in those pillows that are they're just cool pillows. My wife's not helping me. But anyway, I'm lost. Help! But, uh, you know, Jesus, he ministered all day and then he'd spend all night in prayer with his father. He prayed in the garden while his disciples slept. He doesn't seem to ever be really cranky. People try and make him cranky. You know, every time I'm cranky, or I say, wow, Jesus, he overturned money changers' tables. Yeah, there you go. He had a righteous anger. And right now I'm just cranky with a righteous crankiness. You know, that kind of a thing. And uh, I shouldn't be saying all this. Pam's going to hold me accountable to it later. But anyway... Uh, you know, you just and and Paul would say, okay, that's all. Right. That's part of your dead body. You understand? You've been delivered from that womb and from that way of living, and now you breathe differently. Your lungs are used in a different way. Your 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 mind and your heart and your emotion, all that is being used in a different way now. A way that is animated by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the pneuma of God. The you know, and and He is going to use that to make a difference, and and people are going to see, wow, you're you're different. And then you think, well, I'm not even trying to be different. Uh, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just in a dead body. And the Holy Spirit is, is living in me and through me. And so, you know, uh, some of these things, I think sometimes, this is just, maybe it's just me, but I think so often we get stuck in, because we've heard so many messages, I've even delivered them, you know, about now you get to this point, here are the five ways you do this. If you do this, this, and this, this will happen. And the reality is, you take a step back from the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person who lives inside of you and that He is doing these things in relationship with you. There aren't five steps by which you take. You just get to know. I mean, in the morning, I don't get up and say, Honey, these are the five steps we're going to take today in order to have a, a better marriage. I'm going, to do, I'm going to memorize the recipe uh, you know, for breakfast and you're going to memorize how much you know how to do the clothing and you're you know we have all these steps down and then we're moving forward to date night you know and then that, and then we've got all of that just under control and stuff you just have a relationship there's a give and a take and a push and a pull and a and a love and all of that and, and so there so Paul says a lot of I think what Paul says to the Christian is this is who you are it's not who you're becoming it's it's not uh, there's no steps to it there's no steps to having the Holy Spirit living in you. Paul said earlier, he said, if you're a Christian, guess what? He lives in you. He didn't just move into the garage. He doesn't have more things that he's sending from heaven. You know, he's, he's in you as a person. He's fully in you or he's fully out of you. And if you're a Christian, he's in you. And you just need to get to know him and, re- and, and yield to him uh, and, and get into that relationship. And, and so, same thing, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the Beatitudes. He said, this is who you are. Not who you are maybe one day aspiring. He said, this is what a Christian is because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so I I need to, I guess, think about that, meditate on that and think, hey, the next time I am 
tempted to be in the flesh, or I am in the flesh, I need to hear the Holy Spirit say, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy who raised Jesus from the dead. And I, I can help you to overcome what's going on in your heart right now. It's, it's really not that hard if you will just yield to me. Uh, and sometimes, quite honestly, in my life, I don't like to hear that. I, I, I kind of like being dis- depressed. I know I never appear depressed to you, but I can, I can appear depressed to others. And, uh, you know, I like it. It's kind of fun. Don't you like to have a pity party every now and then? Woe is me. No one understands me. We all have our Elijah moments all the time. Elijah, you know, fled from uh, the queen and then he finds himself in a cave and God finally catches up to him as, in a sense and he says, what's up? And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm the only servant. I'm the only one. I'm all by myself. It's a lousy gig. I didn't sign on for this. He's having a really marvelous pity party. And then God says, yeah, that's, none of that's true anyway. I have 7,000 other people that are serving me right now and guess what? I'm giving your ministry to Elisha. So get ready to throw your mantle. Uh, you know, so, and it's pretty serious stuff. And so, you know, God, uh, you know, we like to be pity. We are men of like passions, the Bible says, with Elijah. We like that kind of pity. And Paul would say, hey, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. You're a Christian. The Spirit of Christ, you don't live in the womb. And you can't crawl back into the womb and live like that anymore. Those are womb behaviors. All of that kind of stuff that we do, those are behaviors that belong to the womb. It says, you're you're born now. You're born again. Take in the Holy Spirit and let Him live through you. Amen?